This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul asked for prayer that the gospel message might move rapidly and be crowned into the lives of those who receive it. Finally, brothers, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you. Now, here's a prayer for the rapid work of the gospel. We're often led to expect the slow, progressive work of the gospel, but Paul says, pray for the opposite. Pray God's good news breaks in fast upon people's hearts. Here are the points of the message. The first one is this. We should pray this way because this is the way that the gospel generally moves. We should pray this way because this is the way the gospel generally moves. This may not be always what takes place, but this is the optimal expression of how the gospel takes shape and moves in the lives of individuals and in communities. It brings a rapid overthrow by its power from people's idolatries and from their false worship. It produces an immediate surrender to those who yield to it, an immediate surrender to the life of Christ to serve and obey Him and follow Him. The gospel can come pouring in, racing into our lives, and transform us in a wonderful way. Recently, I have been engaged in a series of interviews. I've called a number of individuals. I've talked to them on the phone. I actually put a little app on my phone where I could call into a little center, then call the person, and I could record our conversations to go over it. And I've been listening to the conversations I've had and made uh, little transcripts of them. Some of those individuals, then we gathered together here a couple weeks ago from our fellowship, and we met at a coffee shop on the other side of town, and we actually videotaped a number of them sharing their testimonies as well. They weren't the only individuals that we interviewed. In every case, when we engaged in these interviews, as these people talked about the moment in which Christ brought them to themselves in the day of salvation, there is this expression in their testimonies of an immediate impact that Christ had upon their lives, an immediate impact. One couple talks about the fact that after they gave their life to Christ, they came back home, and in the middle of the night, they realized that they had to change the environment of their home. In the middle of the night, they got up, and they began to get rid of all the books they were reading that weren't a reflection of this Christ that was living inside of them. They began to purge their home of their albums and their magazines, and they just cleaned house in the middle of the night because Christ had done something so wonderful that they couldn't go on the way they were going on. Other individuals talk of waking up in the morning and realizing, you know, I shouldn't swear anymore. I'm going to clean it up and stop. Other individuals noticed that as soon as they gave their life to Christ, that the struggles they'd had with certain types of prevailing sins immediately ceased. As God began to change them and God began to root it out of their lives. Other individuals tell the story of going to their house and removing from their house objects in their house that were somewhat tokens of their past life. Anything that somehow was some kind of memento to a life that they had lived pursuing their own self-will and sin, and for whatever reason to them, it all of a sudden looked like an idol, and those things that had sentimental value no longer bore any sentiment that they wanted to hold on to, but they began to rid it from their lives. A number of them talked of throwing off old friends that were bringing them into compromise. Almost all of them began reading their Bibles voraciously as a constant preoccupation 
Many of them rushed to tell others what Jesus had done for them. Others, again, stopped immediately habits that were in their lives, swearing or drinking or lust. They all found their way to churches. One individual told the story of how they began to, right after they came to Christ, arrange their Sundays so that they could be in two different churches for a period of five hours every Sunday. They just couldn't get enough singing. They couldn't get enough of the Bible. They just wanted all that they could get, a fellowship in the midst of God's people. Parents and wives of these individuals began to be worried that they were having some kind of breakdown. (laughs) Something strange was going on and they were concerned for them. At the same time, these same parents and wives couldn't help but noticing that the difference that was developing in their lives was something that was positive. They were more loving. They were more attentive. They weren't bitter. They weren't vindictive. One wife came to Christ soon after the husband came to Christ, and when asked why she came to Christ, she said, because I knew that nothing could have changed my husband to become what he had become other than God himself. Pretty immediate. Pretty dramatic. That's how the gospel works. This is the way of the gospel when it breaks out in saving faith upon the individual. The idea that there is somehow this slow, progressive transformation I know is a popular notion today because it appears as though many in the Christian church are just kind of trying to grind out an expectation and a manner of living and they sing loud but their lives show a grinding out and a slow progression. But this is how it happens. If somehow the gospel comes to some in this slow, progressive fashion where incrementally they change until one day they come into full faith, it's an exception and not the rule to the way the gospel works. No. Like those individuals on the day of Pentecost, when you hear the gospel as the Spirit of God makes it known to your heart, you're cut to the heart by the power of the Spirit, and there comes an immediate change. One of the individuals who spoke to me spoke of the fact that they'd grown up their whole life in church and they knew everything in the gospel. They'd heard it all, but they didn't know any of it. It is as if the God of this age had blinded their minds so that they couldn't understand any of it. And then one day, just one day, as someone was speaking, one thought, one concept of the truth of the gospel cut to their heart and they grabbed hold of it by faith and their life and their mind opened up and there was this immediate download of everything that they had heard before but not grasped or understood and they understood it. Their first thought is, why has no one ever taught this to me before? And the next thought was, wait, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that, and I never grasped it before. Something immediate, something wonderful, something overwhelming. This is not the slow change in an opinion or the slow straddling over a fence or some person coming to a slow boil who goes from cold to cool to room temperature to being lukewarm to being warmer still. No, it's a soul that is been met by the melting heat of God's Holy Spirit breaking upon them in hot conviction. And then all but once at the same time, the cleansing cool of Christ's life flooding over them and rushing over them in forgiveness and in life. It stands in contrast to the attitude of many in the church today who are almost resigned and have resigned themselves that moral and spiritual development happens slowly and incrementally. And by the way, this attitude that is being expressed, and it happens oftentimes when I'm teaching in evangelism. Oftentimes when I'm teaching courses in evangelism, I'm talking about the need to call people to a decision to Christ and how the Holy Spirit wants to work to bring transformation to life. And almost always, students raise their hand and say, well, don't you think that this is more of a progressive thing? Now, that's a new idea, honestly. A new idea to at least North American evangelicalism. North American evangelicalism began to be hardy through what were called revivals. 
We called it the first great awakening and the second great awakening. There was this revivalist tone in which there was this expectation that when God's gospel was taken hold of by people, there was a dramatic conversion in their lives. And there were changes that took place that could only be explained by the overpowering work of the gospel. And the church, the evangelist, the, the person who the evangelist went out with a message, went out with a message and a hope and a belief that there could be this immediate conversion and change in people's lives. That was the hope. It was a hope and a dramatic encounter with the person and work of Jesus Christ through the clear and dramatic encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, bringing us to be reconciled in a wonderful and dramatic encounter with the person of God the Father. It was a belief that when you gave your life to Christ, that God would come rushing into the soul and that it would happen suddenly. Now, we've seen that happen in our lives individually. If you've been born again, you have something of that story of something of the way God at some point in time suddenly broke in upon you and changed you. You can see it happening in your life. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you saw it happen in your life. Now I want you to pray for others in the same way. I want you to pray for individuals and I want you to pray for those that I'm going out to in new communities that will happen to them like it happened to you because it's the way of the gospel. Here's another reason why we need to pray for the rapid movement of the gospel. We pray this way so that we don't develop habits of hesitancy and shyness in setting the gospel forward. This notion that there has to be the slow bearing in of the gospel before people's hearts can slowly turn and pivot to be willing to receive it and understand it and grasp it makes something of the idea of the gospel to be a human exercise instead of an exercise of the illumination and revelation of the Spirit of God to the heart of men through weak vessels like ourselves. We've decided that we must incrementally change the environment that people live in in order that we can communicate to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that's not what happened in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, Paul arrives over three Sabbaths. He preaches. He's rejected by most of the Jews. Some believe. Many of the Gentiles believe. And there's this dramatic impact that takes place through the whole city. Actually, there's a wonderful book that I've read some time ago. It's called Go Forth in China. Jonathan Goforth, one of the great missionary statements to China, God used him in a powerful fashion in the early 1900s. Here's a quote from him, Jonathan Goforth. This idea of going slow, you know, taking it easy. Quote from his book, Some months after arriving in China, an old, experienced missionary came to Goforth with the following advice. Do not attempt to speak of Jesus the first time when preaching to a heathen audience. The Chinese have a prejudice against the name of Jesus. Confine your efforts to demolishing their false gods, and if you later have an opportunity, maybe you can bring Jesus before them. Later, in recounting to his wife the advice that had been given to him, Mr. Goforth explained to her in hot emphasis, never, never, never. The gospel which saved the down and outs in the slums of Toronto is the same gospel which must save these Chinese sinners. And if you read his biography, you'll find out from the very first Whenever he was able to speak, even in broken and imperfect sentences, he preached to the Chinese Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified for their sins and Jesus Christ risen from the dead and Jesus Christ coming back to save. And right from the very beginning, in this strange far place that had never heard the whisper of the gospel in any way, sinners were immediately being saved and being brought from the lowest points of depravity into life. 
We pray this way because we don't want to get caught up in this kind of hesitancy and slowlessness, thinks that we must take a long, circuitous route into the hearts of men, not if the Spirit is leading us there. Actually, we pray this way, thirdly, as a way of countering the ways of the world we live in. The fact is, the world we live in doesn't change so rapidly. Even though, you know, we might have technologies that develop, the problems in the world have been, well, they've been around for a long time, and they're going to be around for a long time still. There are a number of things that move at a slow pace, and change, particularly in a positive way, oftentimes happens very slowly. As for spiritual change, there's such a hold in so many places where people are bound in the self-defeating, God-denying generational patterns that have developed around them that we see that these habits are going to be very hard to break up and disrupt. It's going to be very difficult to turn them from these entrenched patterns behavior. And we see the long entrenched patterns and to some extent the temptation is to yield to them as if they're things that will always be and that will not remain unremoved and it's as if we think that going to them and proclaiming them is like preaching to walls that have stood for generations that will never fall what kind of example do we have to preach towards walls do they always stand can they fall just go around them seven times and blow your horn Although we must prepare ourselves to endure in prayer over the long haul, we must ask and hope and expect that when God answers, it will come quickly. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.